All right, thanks, guys. Well, we are uh, this morning going to um, finish off our uh, our short little series on a theology of work, um, and so we've been doing this as a way to um, talk about something that we spend so much of our time um, in. So that we've been calling it uh, "On Earth as It Is in Heaven" because we're saying, like, when Jesus taught us to pray, He's saying, um, "We pray, Lord, Your kingdom come." your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the idea is that God's will obviously is done perfectly on, uh, in heaven. And, and he's saying, pray that God's will would begin being done on earth. And for us, that looks like um, everywhere we are, our communities, our families, um, and our workplaces, we want to see God's will being done more and more, shaping those spaces and those relationships. And so this um, series on the theology of work has been all about, man, we spend so much of our time in these spaces, um, let's talk about framing it in a way that helps us to see this whole thing. Um, I want to I share this uh, Barna study with you. So in 2018, Barna did a study on Christians in their workplace. How do Christians view uh, their work? Um, a few interesting stats from that. So one is that 39% of Christians are satisfied with how their work fits in with their calling. Okay, so that's, that's better than it might be, but that's less than half of us would say when we look at our jobs that we do, the work that we're doing on a daily basis, um, we, we're not feeling like most of us feel like, ah, I don't know, it doesn't feel like this is my full calling before the Lord, my work. So there's this little bit of a disconnect there. Um, they found as well that 36% of Christians are satisfied with the future opportunities their work provides. So this isn't necessarily a spiritual thing, but it's just saying in, in our jobs, uh, only 36% of us are saying, like, yeah, I like, love where I'm at. I love what I'm doing. Job satisfaction has been pretty low uh, over the last several years. This was even before the pandemic started. It's gotten much worse now. Um, finally, this is the one that I think is really telling. 26% of Christians clearly see how their work serves God or a higher purpose. That means that, like, if we're anything like this national average, that means that Three-quarters of us, as we go about this thing that we spend a lot of our time doing, we don't have a sense of like how this work life connects to what God's doing in the world. And so our series has been an effort to try to um, shape that a little bit, to frame it, to help us to see, get some perspective on like, okay, yeah, Lord, what are you doing? And how does this thing that takes up so much of my time, how does, how does um, your kingdom and, and the life that you're giving to me, how does it affect where I spend so much of my time? So we, uh, we've been trying to shape that perspective for a few weeks now. Um, this morning, we are going to settle it and answer any question uh, beyond any doubt for sure as we like tie this off. And to do that, we're going to go into Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, um, turn there. Um, I'm going to uh, put it on the screen here for us. Colossians 3, and I'm just going to say right off the top, um, I, am, I am cheating a little bit, okay? So um, Colossians 3, 22 is talking about um, the relationship between slaves and masters, okay? So I'm, I'm cheating because I'm going to use it to talk about uh, employment type situations, bosses and employees, okay? Um, now, when he's writing to slavery, there's a few passages in the New Testament that address slave and master relationship. I want to just say off the top, I always wish when I read these that they were just saying slavery is evil, never do it, okay? I think there was differences to what slavery looked like back then, but still it wasn't anything that you wanted to be a part of. You can see the ESV here translates it as bond servants. Really, it does mean um, slaves. There's difference to kind of uh, how we saw it done in America, more race-based and, and things like that. But nonetheless, it's not a great thing. Um, and they never come out and say, okay, just do away. Let's just do away with slavery. What they do, though, however, Paul often does this. 
is he speaks into these relationships between uh, a master and a slave, and he begins um, talking about the way that they interact with each other in a way that really um, undermines uh, the whole, like all of the evil assumptions about owning a person and those kinds of things, um, it begins to reshape it, and he begins to talk about them like they're actually brothers and sisters in Christ um, together, as opposed to this power dynamic that's, that exists. And it begins reframing the way they interact to, um, to sort of heal the wound of a lot of it. And Paul even comes out and says in Galatians, um, in Christ there's neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So there's this subversion of it. But for this morning, uh, what we're going to look at, we're going to take this um, talk about slaves and masters, and we're going to use it sort of like an analogy. We're going to pull some principles from those interactions that we can take into our um, work lives, and I think it's legitimate to do that. Um, you guys can let me know afterwards. You can send an email. My, my email is ncsoretti at creeksideonline.com, and you can um, complain about that if you want to. So, um, JK, guys. Um, so, here we go. 322. Paul says, bond servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. And pause right there. So he's speaking to uh, these, uh, these slaves, these bond servants, and we're going to kind of uh, extend that out to talk about employees. And what he's basically saying is, obey your bosses, okay? Now that's probably like the worst news that some of you could have gotten, right? Like I wanted to come today and be like, disregard your boss. He is, in fact, an idiot, right? Like, um, and so that's how we all feel so much of the time. But Paul here is speaking, and he's speaking very generally, and he's obviously talking about slavery, which is a more intense thing. And he's saying, you've got to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not just with eye service, not just when it, like, what it looks like to them, but uh, like a people pleaser would do, but serve them, obey them, submit to them even, is the word that he uses, um, with a sincerity of heart. Now, this is hard for us as Americans. We don't like submitting to anyone or anything. We want to do what we think is best always. Um, we want to have control of the situation. But I'm telling you right off the bat, as we talk about being employees in a situation like that, it is so healthy for us to have this theological reminder that um, we are not in charge of everything. We're not meant to be in charge of anything. We're not in control, really, of anything, even though we feel like we are. It is so healthy for us to have these reminders um, that we are not in charge of the situation. Paul's just saying, hey, look, obey them. Submit to them. You're not in charge. You don't need to be in charge. He's going to call them to do good things. But what God calls us to do in life does not require that we be in charge of every dynamic of things. Um, what this looks like for me, I, I, so I'm like the lead pastor here. I love getting to do that. I get to do a lot of what I want to do. So there's many things where I'm like, I think this is the best way to get this done. And I get a lot of freedom to do that. But I have elders that are over me. And, and the elder board, we have a beautiful, lovely elder board. And, um, and I don't get to do everything that I want to do. I get told no a lot on things. Or at least um, when I want to do something this way, there's a group of wise people that say, mm, let's actually do it this way instead. And I'm just telling you, that is so healthy. Like, that's, that's healthy for us as a church to keep me from just doing whatever I want to do. It's healthy for me as a human being to be told no on things that I want to do. It's healthy for me to be reminded that I can't just do everything the way that I think it's best. And now I look at all of you guys, and I, and I, I see, like, man, your work situations, some of your bosses are rough. I know that. I know that that is a really difficult thing. It is so healthy for you to live your life in a way where you don't get to do everything that you want all the time. Um, it's hard to be told no, but it's so healthy for us. Um, theologically, I think there's another reminder here. So if we're submitting to our, um, 
to our bosses or our masters and this whole thing, um, not just externally, but at, like people pleasers, but like with the sincerity of heart. I think he's also theologically reminding us, calling us to, um, you don't have to feel passionately about everything that you're doing. So he's not saying, if you agree with what your boss calls you to do, and if you really like that task, then make sure you do it. He's saying, submit to them in everything, obey them in everything. You don't have to feel passionately about everything in order to do it. Now, I think that, um, I think that millennials, I'm like the oldest, uh, the oldest you can be and be a millennial. That's me. I'm a grandpa millennial is kind of what they say. Um, I think millennials have been right to turn to the boomers and say, you guys have just been um, seeking money and you've been in these mundane jobs and you need to feel passionate about the work that you're doing. I think that millennials have been right to be like, we should feel passionate about the work that we're doing. I think that's a good corrective to some of the, um, some of the ways that boomers Worked, But on the flip side, me speaking now as a grandpa millennial, I think the boomers have been right to look at the millennials and be like, yeah, but you guys, you can't just do only the things that, are, uh, that make you excited, right? You, you have to, there's a place for doing uninspiring work, right? For just grunting and pushing through and doing difficult things, right? Millennials need to hear that. Boomers need to hear the whole thing. Gen Z is going to figure it all out and get, us, get it all right for us, I'm sure. A um, lot of good evidence to say that. Um, but in this, right, he's calling us, like, submit to uh, your masters. Submit to your bosses. They're going to call you to do things that you don't necessarily agree with, or you're like, that's not the best way to do it. This is pointless. This is stupid. And he's saying, what does he say? Uh, obey them and everything, and don't do it by way of eye service. Don't do it just good enough to where, like, how it looks, um, like a people pleaser would. Don't just do it to, like, get by. Don't just make sure that you're keeping your boss happy or making sure that you get your paycheck or your bonus or whatever. Do it, he says, actually with sincerity of heart. <laughs> do it, do it like from your heart. Do that work. That's the millennial thing. But the corrective to the millennials is he's saying in everything. Like whatever job you're in, it doesn't have to be an inspiring field. You can throw yourself in there and do it passionately, actually from the heart. Like work with passion um, in whatever it is, even if you don't find it naturally inspiring. I think that's the call that we have here. See, if we, could, if we could kind of step back, if you think of um, uh, your field of work, whatever you do for work, or if you're retired, what you did for work, um, imagine God kind of pulling you aside, putting his arm around you and saying, hey, listen, I want to do some things in this field right here, in this career opportunity, in this office, this, this workplace. I want to do some things here. Would you come alongside me and can we work together to do some things that I want to do here in this space? Like imagine if God was like literally doing that with you. Wouldn't that be cool? You'd have this sense of like purpose and everything. But I want you to kind of stop imagining that and recognize that's literally, I think, what's happening in every one of your jobs. Some of you have like really cool, big, important jobs where you see like the purpose and the value of it. Others of you are doing these mundane things that just steal your soul in a lot of ways. But every one of us, I think, are in the job that we're in, at least for now, because God is saying, I want to work in this thing, and I'm going to open these doors and these opportunities for you to step into this, and I want you to put your heart into the whole thing. I want you to treat the work itself as if it actually matters, because I think God is working in that. I want to I quote a few times this morning from Dorothy Sayers. She was a, um, a novelist in the 20th century and um, ha- like wrote some really great things on Christians in work. And she says it like this. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to make sure he comes to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this. The very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. 
So she's saying if you're making good tables, like, like your, your work is not the irrelevant thing, right? It's not just like, okay, yeah, make tables, sure, but like make sure that you don't get drunk and that you come to church, like be a good person and then like, you know, whatever you need to do with your time. She's saying if you're a religious person, that we need to remind everybody that like, yes, yeah, of course, don't, don't be like living these crazy lives or whatever. Definitely be part of the church community. But the first thing that God requires of you in your job is Make good tables if you're a table maker, right? Um, uh, be, be good with your employees. Like, do whatever you do. Do it with excellence. Put your heart into it. Treat it like, you're, like it matters. Even if you're not excited about what your job accomplishes, recognize this. There was a point at which um, you in your life were like praying for, I believe, probably praying for the job that you have now, right? You're sitting there and you're like, God, I, I, need, I need money. I need a career. I need an opportunity. And at some point, the Lord opened a door and an opportunity. Actually, Steve Sunshine was sharing uh, a few weeks back how he prayed for his job. And then God opened the doors and he got into it and realized like, oh my goodness, I hate this. You know, how many of us are in that spot? We prayed for an opportunity. God opened a door. We get there and we're like, oh, I hate this job. You know, like, I, I, like something that God blessed us with is an answer to our prayers. We begin treating with contempt because we're like, oh, this is so frustrating. It's not what I actually wanted. But, but recognize, God opened the doors to get you into the job you want, whether it's your dream job or whether it's just something that's paying the bills for now. God opened those doors. The job that you have now is a means by which God is providing for you and for your family. That's a beautiful thing. Don't take that for granted. It may not, it, it pro- I'm, like, I'm certain that it's not, uh, you're not getting paid what you deserve to be paid, what you think you need to be paid. Like, but God is providing for you and your family through that thing. That, that matters. The relationships that you have with your bosses, with your coworkers, with your patients or clients or customers, like those relationships matter a ton. And God's placed you there on purpose um, to, to invest in those things. The, the very cultivation of God's world that Steve talked about a few weeks ago uh, matters uh, dramatically. As God created a world and, and, and shaped it and formed it and filled it and then sent us into the world to do the same thing, everything we're doing to make this place um, uh, more of a home, more of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, like those things matter regardless of what field that we're in. And so what Paul is saying is, Submit, submit to your master. Don't just do the bare minimum. Don't just do it like what looks good externally, but actually get your heart into it. Believe in it and do it and do it well. Do it with passion um, is the call. See, I think often in our lives, we, we look at our work life and we think, okay, um, I'm going to get through my work life so that I can live the rest of it. And we draw, we can begin drawing these boundaries. I'm going to work 40 hours and no more, right? I'm going like, like, to do this, but if my boss asks me to do that, I'm not. Like, I'm not going to go above and beyond because my boss is unworthy of it or this, this job um, is not worthy of my time and attention. And we begin to draw all these boundaries hard and fast that will never cross. And I think, obviously, boundaries, balance, those are healthy things. But when we begin to kind of section off a part of our life, like that's my work, I'm not going to go above and beyond. I think Paul would just speak into that and say, hey, Throw your heart into it. Believe in it. Like, do, invest yourself in what you're doing. Boundaries are good, but God's design is this flourishing for humanity. It's this giving of ourselves. It's not just doing what's comfortable or what makes sense or where we would draw the lines, but it's saying, get out there. Like, God's given you resources and intelligence and strength, and so invest that in the actual stuff of the world, even if you um, don't fully believe in all of it. I want to share this quote from N.D. Wilson. He's an, an author. Um, and uh, I often uh, will read this at a, a funeral because of the context of it. Um, but he's talking about, like, the things God's given us and what we do with that. So th- this is what he says. Shall we die for ourselves or die for others? For most of us, the question is rarely posed in our finally, final mortal moment, although there is glory when it is. 
death is the finish line of this preliminary race. Shall we cross the finish line for ourselves or for others? The choice isn't waiting for us down the track. The choice is now. Lay your life down. Your heartbeats cannot be hoarded. Your reservoir of breaths is draining away. You have hands. Blister them while you can. You have bones. Make them strain. They can carry nothing in the grave. You have lungs. Let them spill with laughter. I have a finite number of hours remaining to me in which I could be smiling or scowling, rejoicing in my life, in this race, in this story, or moaning and complaining about my troubles. I can be giving my fingers, my back, my mind, my words, my breaths to my wife and my children and my neighbors, or I can grasp after the vapor and the vanity for myself, dragging my feet, afraid to die and therefore afraid to live. In the end, living well is the same thing as dying for others. I find that so powerful. You know, that reminder that everything we have, like every, every bit of strength that I have, every bit of intellect I have, like it's all going to be spent at some point, right? One, one of these days, we're all going to the grave. And he's just saying, do you want to come to the end of it? You, you can't save it up. You don't get credit for what's remaining at the end of it. So he's saying, and whatever you're doing, wherever you are in life, whoever you're with, like invest yourself, pour yourself into that. There is, um, there is beauty and value and goodness in the expenditure of ourselves. He calls, it, uh, he calls it dying for others. Living well is the same thing as dying for others. Expend yourself for the blessing and the sake of other people. That's really, I think, what we're meant to do in this life. It's the reason we have strength. It's the reason we have the skill sets we do. It's the reason God gives us the opportunities that he does. I get that it's very hard um, when you don't love your job or whatever, but I think the call is there. It's probably less about um, the passion we feel for the kind of work we're doing, and it's more about Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? If I, if I love my neighbors, and if my coworkers and my clients and my bosses are my neighbors, then I will give myself to be a blessing to them um, and, to, and to work towards the flourishing of this corner of God's world um, and anyways, that's the, the call and the reminder. So Paul is calling us, work with passion. Uh, even if you find yourself in a slave and master relationship, put your heart into that and work heartily. I think that certainly applies to our um, employee-boss relationships. Um, work with passion. But Paul's also going to call us to um, work with theological perspective. And I think this is very important as well. So uh, picking up at the end of verse 22, he's called us to... Um, Work with sincerity of heart. And he says, do that fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So here, Paul is giving us the most basic factor in all of our work. And he's saying this, like when we're working, when we're working for our bosses or our masters in whatever field that we're in, when we're working for them, he says, what you're actually doing is you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're actually doing. So do it fearing the Lord. Like you have an earthly boss and that matters, but ultimately the person that you're serving is God himself and he's the one that we're called to fear and to serve, right? And so everything we do, we do it as to the Lord because we actually are working for him. He is our boss in all of it. He's the one that's working in the field that we're invited into. And so he works with us and through us. He called us to our job. And part of how we please our heavenly boss is by serving and loving our earthly boss and doing that work hard. And so he says, because of this, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, he says, work heartily. That phrase, work heartily, it means, uh, it means work from the soul. Like, that's literally what it says. Work from your soul. Like, get, like get in there, and, and from the depth of who you are, work in that in whatever you do. Again, 
Not just the good jobs, not just the ones you're passionate about, not just the ones that make you happy, but even that soul-deadening job that you might find yourself in from time to time. Throw yourself into that from your very soul. Um, Dor- Dorothy Sayers, she, she, this is me, my riffing on her um, whole thing, but she's talking about the Christian work. And Christian work um, is not like if you're a plumber that's it's like working uh, as, and you want to be a Christian plumber. The way to do that is not necessarily to like build all of your like piping fixtures into like cross shapes, you know, so that you're like a good Christian plumber. Um, no, it's more about how you do the work, right? So she says, the only Christian work is good work well done. Let the church see to it that the workers are Christian people and do their work well as to God. Then all the work will be Christian work, whether it is church embroidery or sewage farming. So her, her examples are wild. Church embroidery, um, I didn't even know. Some of you have probably experienced whatever that is. Um, uh, or sewage farming. You're like, but she's just saying, look, the, the, the key is like we're, we're, we're working for the Lord. We're working for the Lord in whatever thing we are. And so throw yourself into that. Put your heart into it. Let that be work that is well done. And, she's, and um, Paul is the one who's saying, in whatever you do, work heartily. Whatever you do. So it's, 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 it's easy for me as a pastor to be like, my work matters, right? Um, it's, it's easy, at least when I'm preaching a sermon or if I'm like talking to some of you about your faith or something. It can be more difficult when I'm like taking out trash or like what, you know, like there's plenty of mundane things that I do as well. But I think the big thing is seeing what I, what I do as a pastor is not any more or less important than what you do in your job. Now, it doesn't feel like that, and, and, and maybe there's some, like, nuance to this. I don't know, but it, I think the point is Paul's literally saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever your job is, whatever your career is, whatever your field is, whatever your role is, whatever you do, work from your soul with this sincerity in the whole thing. Work heartily. Do it for the Lord and not for men because we're going to receive a reward from God. Now, this is fascinating because usually our work life is all about our salary, our benefits, um, it, like maybe it's even like status or whatever, right? I don't know what you do in your job, but like maybe you work to get the accolades. Maybe you work to get the status. Maybe you work to get security. Definitely you work for a salary or a wage, right? And so there's everything we do, we want that reward that comes from the job that like even our job satisfaction like is part of why we do what we do, Right? But Paul is saying your reward is not about all that. All that's secondary. Like your, your, your compensation, all that matters. Your job satisfaction, it does matter. But it's secondary to this. You're serving the Lord. Like that is the main thing. And your reward comes from the Lord. It, it's crazy to me that he's sitting here. Paul is saying, look, like the work that you're doing, whether you believe in it or not, God is going to reward you for that work. Like he's not saying, you know, think of the things that we're rewarded for in Scripture. Rewarded for righteous living. Um, rewarded for good faith. Like those kinds of things. But here he's saying, the Lord is the one that's going to reward you for doing your job well. That's fascinating. That's a way better benefit package than you probably have. Rewards from the Lord for how you do your job, whatever it is. He's being so broad in this whole thing. And so the reminder, there's a theological perspective here that your work ultimately is not for your boss. And your boss is going to demand things that are unreasonable. Your boss is going to be a jerk. That's like guaranteed. There's no other way around that in this world that's going to happen. Um, but in that, keep in mind that that's, that's part of it. But the theological perspective is ultimately you are serving the Lord. He is the one that's going to reward you for what you're doing. And so work hard, but trust God in the provision. So that means, like, think of it this way. If we, um, Nathan last week was talking about the gospel and how that shapes our work. 
So if you, if you were to step into your workplace with no sense of gospel whatsoever, you would go into your workplace, and, and without any gospel, all of your value comes from uh, your work and what you produce and what you make and how you're able to live or the status and respect you're able to get from that, right? All of your value is going to come from that. If there's no gospel in your work life at all, you're, who you are and what it means to you and what you, uh, how you're viewed in life and your success is developed, proven by your work. Your value is tied to your work. It, without the gospel, when you get into your work life, um, the people around you are competition to you, right? They're competition or maybe they're a hindrance to you. Maybe they're an obstacle that you have to overcome. And so there's a lot of manipulation of the people around us when the gospel has nothing to do with our work. Um, and without the gospel, like, we demand everything we can from our, uh, our people that are below us or people that are uh, coworkers with us or whatever. Everybody becomes like a means of achieving what I need for myself if there's no gospel in the work that we do. But if we flip that around and we begin to actually believe the gospel, if we actually believe, like, okay, I'm created in the image of a God who loves this world and is gracious and good and blessing this world— if we believe that that God, like despite my sin and my brokenness, that God entered the world, died for my sake, laid down his life to give me forgiveness for my sins, um, to, to cover me with grace and to repurpose, recreate me from the inside out. If I really believe that, then I step into the workplace and now my value is not attached to what I can accomplish, right? My value is in the fact that I'm a child of God and that he loves me. My, my value is set. It's a baseline. It's a foundation that everything else can be built on. And so I step into my workplace now, no longer needing my value from all this, but ready to throw myself into it to be a blessing to the people around me. It means that the people around me are not competition or obstacles to me achieve, achieving with the value that I need in life. These people are here for me to bless and love and care for, right? I can learn and grow from them and I can invest myself in them. And the people, like, I have the things that I need in the Lord. And so people become an opportunity for me to love and bless them, to unlock, to empower them, to unlock everything God made them to be because I am not in this scarcity mindset of the whole thing. And so if we believe the gospel and how it speaks to our, our work, if we believe that God's our true master, we begin to get balance in all of it. So I'm, not, I'm no longer working um, to prove myself, and, and I, can, I can now accept my limitations. I can accept boundaries. I can, I can, I can look at it and say, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to go above and beyond in every way that I can, but I'm also going to value the rhythms that God has set. Uh, Steve talked about how God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, Right? We can accept that rhythm of working hard, but also resting. We can accept the fact that I'm not going to be good enough to accomplish everything that I think I need to, and I can rest in that. So for me, this actually looks really cool right now. So I am uh, eight days away from a three-month sabbatical. So um, that's pretty awesome. So, like, thank you guys for that. I'm sure you uh, weren't like, you're welcome, like we strategized that. But it's how we set things up. Um, I've been here for seven years now, which is awesome. So I've been here for seven years. It's been the best seven years of my life. It's been such a blessing. We have a, a, um, a, a policy where seven years, then you get a three-month uh, sabbatical. And so what that does is it forces me to take some time away, take some time to rest, um, take some time to kind of, um, you know, heal spiritually or whatever. I'm coming into it like... Um, I feel great. I feel like I love my job. I feel like I have the best job in the world. I feel like um, I don't feel burdened. I don't feel like, oh, goodness, get me out of here or whatever. Like, I feel rested and I feel good. But I do need this reminder that, um, that life is 
Uh, my job is important. The work that I do is great, but also it doesn't depend on me, right? Like I need to step out and I'm going to be out for three months. I need to step out and be reminded that like there's good things that are happening here, but those things are not about me. It's not me accomplishing it. This isn't my church. This isn't the fruit of my labor. It's like what God's doing. And he's doing it through our whole staff team. He's doing it through our elder team. He's doing it through what each of us invests in all this. And so in all of these things, I need this reminder that like I step back because it's not about me. It's not what I can accomplish. God's going to do big things while I'm here. He's going to do big things while I'm away, right? It's also a reminder for all of, all of us, right? All the rest of the church family, all of you guys, that like this doesn't depend on me. It's not about what I do in it. And so there's these healthy rhythms of like investing, but also resting and stepping back from that whole thing. Um, I'm gonna, I'll share a little bit more about the sabbatical uh, next week. But, um, but yeah, so I, like, my last day is... Uh, uh, Sunday, next Sunday, we'll do our Vision Sunday together, and, um, and so we'll kind of like talk about what God's done, and look forward to what's ahead, and it'll be awesome. I'll share a little bit of my sabbatical plans, um, but Sunday is my last uh, day on the clock. Then I step into sabbatical. So what sabbatical looks like, I, you won't see me on Sundays. Um, the, the, the elders have kind of asked me to separate from that a little bit. Um, I'll be like in, in town uh, for most of it, but we are going to take like a, um, I'll, I'll, like, I'll like check out how other churches are doing, and um, Fill out comment cards with everything they're doing wrong, probably, and I'm um, just kidding. But get to worship with our broader family, right? Um, I'll get to do some of that. We will, um, but the, my family and I, we're going to take a trip to Washington, D.C., which is going to be a huge blessing. I can't wait for that when the girls are out of school. I also have a um, friend from college that bought a vacation home on a Greek isle and is graciously letting us stay there for free. So I'll be here with you next Sunday, and then the day after that, I'll be getting on a plane and going to Greece. And um, if, you, uh, if you don't follow me on Instagram, do it. I'll post pictures. Everything but the pictures of me in a Speedo, I will post. And, uh, and so you can kind of follow along. But anyways, it's, it's, the, it's the good reminder, right? Like if, 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 I, if all my value was like how I do as a pastor and what I'm trying to build and accomplish, then like you can't take breaks on that, right? You can't, you can't step away from it because you might lose momentum or you might whatever, right? But the reminder is like, no, this isn't about me. It's not about what I'm accomplishing. It, like God's work is done certainly through me, but also I'm not the vital piece in that. God is, right? And, and we as a church family are. And so anyways, I, I vote for all of you guys to get sabbaticals from your job. If you give me your boss's address, I'll send an email um, to them letting them know that you deserve it. I think we all work really hard and these things are healthy. Um, but I think the point is, right, is that um, we work hard, we work passionately, we work with, but we work with that theological perspective of like, I'm going to throw myself into it because that's what God calls me to do. But I'm also going to accept the fact that I'm limited and it's not all about me. So um, if your job feels pointless to you, I think, I think part of this is your, your ultimate boss is Jesus. If your job feels pointless to you, um, I think that part of the implications of this is that your job doesn't actually feel pointless to God. So may feel pointless to you. It doesn't actually feel that way to God. God has things that he's, that he's doing that matter in your workplace, in your relationships, in the actual thing that you're doing. And he is the one that's going to reward you for work well done, even in your field. I think it's a beautiful thing, even if we don't see why it matters. I want to I compare these two things. So I, I, I did a, um, I'm just going to do this really quickly. Um, but uh, I did a little uh, <clears throat> two-by-two graph here. Passion is the top line, so less passion at the bottom, more passion at the top, perspective on the right, um, more perspective on the right, less on the left. And if we stepped into a job with no passion and no theological perspective on it, we're just checked out. You know, like this is the person that's like living in their parents' basement when they're like 60, okay? It's just like you have no purpose in life and you're just like, you're just a lump, you know? You're checked out completely. 
Now, if you have all the passion in the world, but you don't have any of the theological perspective, then you're stressed out, right? And how many of us live in this mode where we're just white-knuckling it in our job, we're throwing ourselves all the way into it, but it devours us, it eats us alive, we're stressed constantly, and we're headed for burnout, for sure, that happens. On the flip side, if you go all perspective and you have a great view of it, and yet you have no passion, you're not putting your heart into what you're doing, you're sidelined, you're ineffective, you're just sitting there, yeah, you've got a great view on it, but you're not... Uh, doing anything. You're not counting for anything. So finally, what we want is to be in that upper right quadrant always, which is where we're thriving, right? Throwing ourselves in with passion. We've got the theological perspective on regardless of how I feel about my job, God's working in it. I'm his. And so um, I think these kinds of things, I think this is, these two elements are in play in what Paul's speaking about with all this. Um, there's this invitation, this opportunity to be part of what God's doing in the world. So I want to... Um, I want to just uh, end with these last couple of verses here. Uh, End of chapter 3, verse 25, Paul says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there's no partiality. And continuing into chapter 4, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I think he gives us this perspective at the end, beginning to speak now, I think, to the, um, the masters, or, or in our analogy here, the, the employers, and just saying there's accountability uh, and there's justice in the universe ultimately, and that we don't get to do whatever we want to do, okay? So if we look at, like, if you, if you have people reporting to you, if there's influence that you have in your workplace, um, it doesn't matter. You can't do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you can get away with it. It doesn't matter if it's the norm. It doesn't matter if that's just how things are done. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's strictly legal, but maybe a little bit... Um, uh, dehumanizing, like it doesn't matter if it's the expectation or the norm, just because we can do something with our employees doesn't mean that we should do something with them, right? Just because it's typical doesn't mean that it's good. And so the, the, the whole call here is to say, look, recognize this fact. If you have people that report to you, recognize that ultimately God is over you. And so what we do is we look at the way that God treats us, our master in heaven. Look at how he treats us, and let's make that the model for how we treat the people that report to us. You can have a really lame field. You could be like, I don't know. I'm trying to telemarketing, um, sending junk mail to people. I don't know, like, what's, what's the job that we can all universally hate on? I'm not sure. You could have something that just feels like, ugh, and you can, in that space, either as an employee or as a boss, you can make it this humanizing space where there's human flourishing, and actually, like, it does work out as an instance of God's kingdom. I want to end with this. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard uses this analogy of actors that are on a, on a stage, okay? So if you picture a stage, and there's all these actors, and there's going to be like, one guy is dressed up as the king, and he's playing the role as the king. There's another guy that's a beggar in there, and he's got his costume on, and he's playing the role of the beggar. And these two are on the stage doing their thing. For our purposes, let's imagine there's also like a, a boss on the stage. He's got his boss suit on, and he's doing his thing, and then there's the employee that's there and, and dressed differently or whatever. But they're, they're on the stage, and they're all like, they're all just playing a role, right? And actually, matter of fact, um, there's people in our church family right now that are unemployed, right? You've, you've lost your job. You're struggling with that. That's a tough thing. There's some of you that are ready to make a career shift. You're not sure what that looks like. There's a lot of like, so all of us are in this, on, on this play, wearing our costume, playing the role, and we're all very different on that stage. That's what Kierkegaard's saying. But he says, at the end of the play, the curtain falls, and then what happens? They, all the actors, they go out and they get a drink together. But before they do, they change out of their costumes and they go back into their street clothes. And it would be crazy to think that the guy who played the king and the guy who played the beggar are sitting there and they're still relating to each other as king and beggar. No, at the end of it, the play's over. It would be insane for them to stay in their roles. They take their costumes off and the roles fall away. And now they're just people, right? 
there's people sharing a drink together. And he's using it to say this. We play very different roles in here. Some of us are bosses. Some of us are employees. Some of us are rich. Some of us are poor. Some of us are employed. Some of us are not. Um, some of us are retired. Some of us are just getting going in our career. All of this is like roles that we play. And we want to do what we can to play those roles really well. But we need the theological perspective to say, but yet at the end of the day, we're all just people, right? We're all just people made in God's image. We're all just given this opportunity and this invitation to be part of what God is doing in the world. And so we, we, we need to hold loosely to these roles that we have. Um, and we get so caught up in like, oh, like I've got to find that job or like I've got to succeed in this job. And we hold so tightly to these things. We need to remember, you know, at the end of the day, the costumes aren't what matters. And the characters that we're playing, that doesn't matter. We, we invest ourselves in it. We do the good performance, but we hold, our, hold it all loosely and we say, okay, man, we're all just human beings that God's made. And what matters the most is me serving him in any area he gives me the opportunity to be. I'm going to serve him as well as I can in all of that. My prayer is, as we've talked about all this over the last um, four or five weeks here, is that we'll just kind of um, have a greater sense of like what we do Day in, day out, it matters. Even if it stinks, even if we're in the hard spot, even if you do need to shift careers in the next couple of months, like even if you're in a transition point right now, um, it all, all of it matters. And how we relate and how we treat it and how we view it before the Lord. I want us to see the invitation from God in, in the work that we're doing now or will do soon. And uh, I'm just going to pray for us as we do that. The, the band is going to come back up and um, they're going to lead us in, in some more singing. But let's just... Um, Ask the Lord to speak into our specific work situations. Lord, thank you so much for the perspective that you give us, that our work matters, that work that's done in you, uh, for you, matters. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are ultimately the one that we're serving and trying to please. And I just pray, Lord, for our church family here. Lord, we do so many very, very different things. I pray that you'd work in every single corner of our work lives. Speak truth and life into it. Lord, give, I pray for those that are discouraged and are feeling just at the very end of their rope in terms of what they can give to their job. I pray that you'd either re-inspire them or lead them into something um, that, that whatever that next step is you have for them. Um, I pray for us, Lord, that you would give us a sense of purpose beyond just the value we see in the work. Lord, would you help us to see with your eyes? I pray that you'd help us to invest ourselves deeply in the flourishing of this world. Lord, may we be people that go above and beyond, not just people that give the minimum. Um, and Lord, would we do it because you matter to us and because the work that you've set before us matters. And so I pray for us, Lord, would you encourage um, those are, that, are, that are faint-hearted. I pray that you provide opportunities for those that need opportunities right now. But Lord, all of it, all of it, we hold with open hands saying, Lord, you, it's your, your world. We're your people. Um, would you work in us and through us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.